Welcome to Answers That Count. If you own a business, you can count on us to give you the answers you need to succeed in all aspects of your business. And now, here's your host, Charles Musgrove. Hello, welcome back to Answers That Count. I'm your host, Charles Musgrove, and we got another exciting show. We're going to talk economy, economics one more time today. So uh, it's been an exciting series that we've talked to our professor, Joe Calhoun, economics professor from Florida State University. And I would be remiss if I didn't say that uh, today is 9-11 that, that we're doing this recording. So a significant day, a day to remember. So uh, we will carry on with the show today, but also give recognition to the importance of the day and to always remember what happened on that occasion. So with that, I'm going to welcome back Professor Joe Calhoun from Florida State University. Joe, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me, and I really appreciate your comments about 9-11. For people our age and people who were alive during that time, uh, that's a very powerful event. You can probably remember very vividly where you were on that day. I remember I was in graduate school, and I was watching those events unfold on television as I was, as I was on campus. So I really appreciate you making recognition. That really is an important event, and we need to make sure that we honor those people who suffered through that terrible event. Yeah, it's it's so true that um, I think everybody that was alive during that time remembers exactly where they were, what they were doing, not only for that day, but the days to follow. And yeah. I was just watching some of the the um, the video on TV about the about that time, how they recorded it, and so they interviewed some of the people that were that were there during that time and it really is still just raw emotion when you see people that that were there that played a significant role in that that either either survived it or they were part of the the Bush administration when they went through that so you know it's the emotions are still raw 19 years later so it's um, yeah. it's an incredible event yeah. and to say that was a an event that shaped the United States of America and geopolitical political environment since that is is an understatement. So you know it's a yeah, and we're still living with the consequences. A lot of the policies, a lot of the rules that we have to live by. You know, just going through the airport. Uh, a lot of the a lot of what we live with today is a direct consequence of what happened on that day. So even though we do have reminders on a regular basis, it's good to pause for a, a brief moment and hopefully a little bit longer than a brief moment on the actual anniversary and just remember the people who died and suffered through that and try to honor them best we can. Absolutely. Good good time to uh, bring that up and remember that, and, and I appreciate that. And um, we are, you know, we're still, we, we typically talk a little bit about where we are in COVID and the the effect of that on the economy since we are talking economics and you know we continue to see the economy come out of that we are we're going to probably see the effects of that for continued months to come as we come out of it and as as the industries that suffer and those that benefit uh, we see that. I mean, we see that in in our everyday life. We see that in the stock market, and we see that in in uh, businesses that flourish and those that are unfortunately closing or are really suffering in this time period. So today is Friday the uh, the eleventh, and we saw yesterday where the uh, in the state of Florida, Governor DeSantis opened up the uh, 
the bars and lounges again. So at 50% capacity, they're able to open on September 14th, which is Monday. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens to that and we'll start to get a, a feel or we'll start to get a glimpse of what the, what, it, what those businesses that are going to come out of that, what, who's going to reopen or we'll get a better idea of who, what businesses, those bars and lounges that are actually going to close as a result of the, the COVID-19 shutdown. Cause those guys have been out of business for a long time. Yeah, I'm sure for many of them, this is a very welcome day. They've been anticipating this and wanting this for a long time. And others probably are still going to say it's not worth my time and effort. If I can't be at 75 or 100% capacity, it really doesn't make sense for me to be at 50. And we've already seen that with some restaurants who had the ability to, to be open in their dining facility for a limited capacity. And they said the economics just don't make sense for me there. If I can't be open at a bigger capacity, I'm not going to open at all. So they just continue to have their drive-through opens. And I would imagine a lot of these bars and lounges are going to face the same kind of difficult decision where they want to be open. It just doesn't make sense for them to turn on the lights and power everything up and staff to a level that is going to serve their customers in a way such that their revenues offset their costs. They may say, you know, I still can't do it. And they're going to have to wait until the rules change so that they can go to 75 or 100% capacity. So it's going to be interesting to see how that decision-making plays out at the individual business level. Yeah, it is, it is going to be interesting to see that, that unfold. And things are still reshaping. You know, we've, uh, we've seen how the, the restaurant industry is interesting when we talk about that. I know we're away from the bars and the lounges, but the restaurant industry, we've got different segments of that that are doing well, like the, the uh, those that have drive-through, those that are the the quick serve with the the uh, sandwiches and other quick serve type items, those are, those restaurants are doing well. They're some in some cases they're even flourishing. But the ones that you see that are that are suffering from that are the full service restaurants that that have an emphasis on the in dining facility and they have limited uh, takeout or drive-through capacity. So those are the ones that are suffering. So we'll see how that shapes out in the months to come. Yeah, and I think that's the, the overriding idea here with this recovery is it's very fragmented. Like you said, you have some businesses that are actually nearly normal in terms of their revenue stream and the number of customers. You have some that are still at zero. They can't open and they have no revenue. And then you've got some in the middle. And we can't say that this recovery is going to be even. It's just not. It's going to be uh, very fragmented. It's going to come in bits and pieces. It's going to be very unsteady. And for some people, that's going to be very frustrating and understandably so. Yeah, and the other... <laughs> The other thing that's really going to is really a a big variable that we just don't know what's going to happen is once the once we start to see the therapeutics develop more or the this COVID uh, effect works its way out as far as the disease and the and the health concern of that uh, and then once we get a vaccine there's no telling what what we're going to see in in the recovery or what businesses or segments of different industries really come out of that or those that are that are affected further so that's that's a whole another variable that we just it's hard to crystal ball that and see what's going to happen 
Yeah, I mean, it's literally impossible to crystal ball. You know, with their speculation about when a vaccine will become available, but it's just that. It's speculation. And even if we knew for sure when that vaccine was going to become available, how many people are going to get it? What's going to be the recovery? Is it really going to do everything that we want? I mean, you think about the flu vaccine. You know, you know, we do our very best to prevent the flu, but yet still people get the vaccine. They still get sick. Other people elect not to get the vaccine. So we're going to have all kinds of individual choices. They're going to aggregate up to bigger choices and have an impact on social behavior. And we have no idea what that is going to look like. Uh, yes, we can guess, we can speculate, we can model, but we just have to wait and see. And it's going to be fascinating to watch it all play out. Yeah, it really will. And one, one final side note on the on the disease and the vaccine is it's... Uh, a couple years ago, I was getting the flu vaccine, and uh, the the guy that was giving it to me in Walgreens, he said, "Yeah, this year we we expect the the success rate of this to be higher. We expect it to be thirty percent. Maybe he said thirty five percent." I looked at him like thirty five percent effectiveness rate of this vaccine, and, and he's like, "Yeah, well, it has been lower than that in the past." And so, <laughs> although you may think that you're getting a a hundred percent prevention once you take that vaccine, at least the the flu vaccine, it's thirty or forty percent effective. So it's <laughs> let's uh, let's hope when the when the COVID vaccine comes out that it's a higher percentage than that. Yeah, yeah, let's hope. But anyway, on to the lesson for today with economics, and we're looking at principle number eight. People, no, am I skipping one, Joe? I've yeah, no, one. we're on seven. We're, we're on seven. seven. Profits and losses. We're in theory number seven, profits and losses. Profits direct businesses toward productive activities that in increase the value of resources, while losses direct them away from wasteful activities that reduce resource value. So uh, before we jump into that, Joe, I would be remiss if I didn't give us a a little airtime for the book. You are the co-author of this, Common Sense Economics. This is the you, the third edition, and you are talking about a fourth edition right now. So give us a little bit of insight on the fourth edition and the success of the third edition. Well, let me give a, a quick shout-out to my co-authors who really got this whole thing started uh, several years ago with that very first edition that was actually a, a more like a pamphlet. When you go back and look at it, it was much thinner, didn't cover nearly as much material, didn't have very much personal finance in there at all, but it was a great, great start. And I give a lot of credit to my friends Jim Gortney and Rick Stroop who came up with the idea put that original first edition together. Over the years, they've added Dwight Lee and Tawny Ferrini to really expand the book and uh, really beef up the personal finance part of it, which is part four. Uh, we've had tremendous success with the third edition. A lot of uh, instructors at the high school and college level are using it for the main textbook in their course. And we, it's going so well that we're thinking about doing a fourth edition. Probably won't come out till next year. Uh, we've got to finish up a few other projects and then we can turn our attention to the fourth edition. So hopefully in uh, 2021, you'll see a new copyright date on Common Sense Economics fourth edition. Excellent, excellent. So uh, we're going to kind of led into what the number seven is. Uh, the economic theory number seven and we are in we're doing the this is still in the very first part of the book and it's the mm -hmm. the 12 key elements of economics so these are in no particular order 
So uh, when I first saw that, I thought they were kind of prioritized, uh, but they're nope, not. No, nope, it's just a list of 12. Yep, you could put them in any order. They're all important, so we, we didn't rank order them in, in terms of importance. We just start talking about them 1 through 12. Good deal. So we are in profits. So pro- it's funny that uh, this is one we often talk about the accountant and the economists having a discussion that sounds kind of like it would be kind of a boring discussion, and today we even... Uh, the book even gives some recognition to the accountant uh, and how the accountants do the calculation of profit, and it's compared against how the economists uh, calculate profit also. So this is a good discussion, and what what better two people to have that discussion than, than the two of us? So, Joe, take That's it away. Right. <laughs> yeah, so uh, first of all, as an economist, uh, we never make fun of accountants, except maybe at a social gathering, we'll poke a little bit of fun at you. But actually, you get us off to a great, great start, and you provide us a valuable service because uh, you do a, a good bit of the heavy lifting for us, and then we just make a little adjustment at the end of your calculation. So we give you all the credit in the world and, and really, really appreciate all what you do for us because uh, you save us a lot of calculations. So we start with your calculation, you. which is total revenue minus total what we call explicit costs. Mm-hmm. So you've got a debit and a credit for everything. You do a great job with all your accounting rules, making sure the money's going to the, all the, the right different places. And we take that as a starting point. So we call that accounting profit because that comes from the accountant. And it's the explicit cost, the, 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 the cost that actually leaves the business. So, uh, you know, if there's a bill of sale, if there's a receipt, that's a cost that you all capture and that we want captured as well. What right. the economist is then going to do is take your profit and we're going to subtract off one other item because we think it's really important. Now, you don't have a debit or credit for this, and it's for the opportunity cost. It's the value of the next best alternative that that business could be doing because any business is going to have lots of valuable resources, and they're going to say, I think my best use is to to make product A or service A or a range of products and services, So they're going to take all their resources and they're going to say, I'm going down this path over here. And let's just call it path A. Mm -hmm. Now, an economist is going to come along and say, yep, that's great. Love what you're doing there. But while you go down path A, you actually give up path B. And I want to factor that in because maybe you actually could be doing better at B. And if if that's the case, then I want to make sure that I factor that into decision making. Right. And making sure that you're making good decisions. So let's role play an example here. They think about your, your favorite chicken restaurant that only serves chicken. Well, they've got a building, they've got fryers, they've got people, they've, they've got equipment, they've got all those resources, and they say, I'm only going to make chicken sandwiches. And, and that's great. And maybe they're highly profitable from the accountant's point of view, but that business could take their resources, shift a little bit, and they could be a burger joint. Right. And what if the opportunity was better making hamburgers? Well, the economist is going to want to know that. So the accountant may say, you're doing great. And let's just make up some easy math. Let's suppose that the annual profit was uh, $100. We'll just think real small for a moment. So the math is easy for people. The, the chicken place is making $100 in profit. The accountant is happy. The business owner is happy. But then the economist comes along and says, you know what? 
your opportunity cost of not doing path B, in this case, making burgers, is $200. Well, now your economic profit is actually negative 100. It's the positive 100 from the accountant, and it subtracts off the $200 that you could have earned by doing something else. So now you're actually negative from the, the economist point of view because I've factored in your next best alternative. Interesting. So that... 200 versus 100, you're at a negative 100. So your decision has basically cost you $100 is how that is. Uh, yeah, looking yeah. At. So the economist is always consumed with what are you giving up in order to do what you're actually doing. And if that's a really big cost, then maybe you haven't made the best decision. And that's what profits and losses do for us. They help us make good decisions, and they help us allocate our resources in the most efficient manner. So from society's point of view, what do I want that restaurant to do? Where is the most valuable place for those resources? Well, it's actually over making cheeseburgers, making, right, not making, making chicken. Right. So we, we've made a, an allocation mistake by having that restaurant in the chicken business when from a bigger perspective society would be better off if they were to do hamburgers instead interesting so there is um, some of the other um, elements or economic theories come into play with that also because at some point if you start if you have more people making burgers then you're gonna have an oversupply of that and then the the suppliers yeah. are going to start to compete. Is the price is going to drop, etc. Or there's there's more people, more burger joints for the consumer to choose from. That's right. So then, what would happen there is, as that price for those cheeseburgers goes down, the revenue would go down, and obviously the profit calculations change. And the most important thing I want your listeners to understand about this element is that profits and losses are much more than numbers on the bottom line of an accounting statement or an economic statement. Profits and losses are signals. They're kind of like the stop-and-go lights that we have around town or even the stop sign that you've got behind you there. Just imagine driving through Tallahassee, Florida, or any other city, and you get to an intersection. How do you know when to go? Well, green means go and red means stop. We right. all know that as drivers. That's a signal to say it's now safe to go forward. And the red signal is a signal that says stop. Profits and losses are very much the same thing in an economic setting. A profit is a signal. The market is saying, keep going, keep going. You're doing great. I'm going to reward you for taking a resource, allocating it in the best way possible, and earning this positive residue, which we call a profit. A loss, where the costs are greater than the revenues, is a very clear signal to the business, stop what you're doing. Right. You're destroying wealth. You're going the wrong way. And we need you to stop doing what you're doing. And the market will make it very clear with these profits and loss signals to the business owner which way they should go, where they should turn, when they should pivot. And we've seen this in the course of history. We've seen businesses that are doing very well and then the market starts yelling at them, hey, you know what? You're losing it. You're not making good decisions. You need to stop or you need to turn and go in a slightly different direction. Uh, yeah, that's very good. And, the uh, you know, one I've heard 
people ter- uh, refer to what we do on the accounting side is we're really historians. If you look at traditional mm-hmm. financial statements, it's all historical. It's already happened. Yeah. And it, it doesn't take into account a value or the opportunity cost or some other important accounting numbers or financial numbers that should be taken into consideration when you're making decisions. So the 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 good entrepreneur and in the chapter refers to the entrepreneurs that run the businesses and that that drive the economy. They're making uh decisions based on what's what they project or their crystal ball of what's going to happen in the future. So they may not be shifting their resources to make burgers because they know that burger costs are going to be hiked in the near future or there's something that's going to uh, turn the consumers back to buying chicken rather than burgers. So he's making a calculated uh, prediction of what's going to happen in the future in order to put his resources where he's got them. Now, there's winners and losers in every business and in every industry, and that's what makes the the markets go. Yes, and this is probably one of the most important things that an entrepreneur does is anticipate what's going to happen next. Any good entrepreneur is going to not necessarily have a crystal ball, but they're going to have some kind of vision for the future, and they're going to act today on what they think the trend is going to be. If you're the kind of entrepreneur who is always reactionary, you're probably not going to be as successful if you can cultivate the skill to try to look into the future a little bit and predict trends. Now, you're not ever always going to be correct. I mean, sometimes we think a trend is happening and we jump on board and then we realize, whoa, that that didn't go the way I planned. That's why being an entrepreneur is so hard because you're going to make mistakes and you have to take on risk. But it's very important that you try and get ahead of those trends such that you can capture more revenue and capture that profit before everybody else jumps on board. You don't want to be late to the party every single time. It's okay being late once and and every now and again, but you don't want to be late every single time. That's not a good recipe for long-term success. Yeah, and it's um, the chapter also made reference to uh, Stephen Jobs and his his failures because he had made some some wrong predictions of future trends. Early in his career, but he stayed with it. Uh, went back to Apple and what we know now is history with the iPhone and uh, and the iPad and the other products that that he brought to market. So it's uh, it's not about your the failures and making the wrong predictions, but it's how you recover from that. That's right, and I love Henry Ford's famous quote where he said, "Failure is the ability to start over again more intelligently." And if you if you look at failure in that way, it's not, okay, I need to fold up my tent and go home. I'm done here. No, failure is an opportunity to reassess, to figure out what went wrong, and then to begin over again, and then start over again more intelligently. You got you to gotta add that in there. Starting over again is sometimes not always enough. You got to okay. start over again intelligently and make sure, hey, I don't want to make that mistake again, and now this is a chance for me to restart. And if you look at any very long-term business. You know, Henry Ford obviously been in business for for many, many years. He's deceased, but obviously his company lives on. Any other company that's been, you know, over 100 years old, you can track many times in their history. They've had to pivot. They've had to change. They've had to, to begin again more intelligently. And 
any entrepreneur has to have that mentality of a failure is not, okay, I throw up my arms and I'm done now. It's a chance to, to reboot and start over again. Exactly. And I, I like, I, this is a borrowed term, but an L is not a loss. It's an opportunity to learn. So That's uh, right. take that yep. learning opportunity and do better the next time because you're going to go at it smarter, more intelligently the next time that you that you step up to bat. So I think that's important. And, you know, to bring that to current, really what's what we're living with right now in, in the current economic times is, is COVID. That is really forcing a lot of businesses, a lot of industries to pivot. So w- what's that pivot going to look like? We talked about the restaurant industry a lot because that's one that's really been impacted. Anybody in the entertainment or the travel industry has been heavily impacted airlines industry so what is that going to look like you know they had a nfl season started last night and we saw that totally different with i think 25 percent of the people in the stands uh so once once we get beyond this will we there's going to be thing there's going to be segments of the economy businesses and industry that don't go back to what they were before so it'll be very interesting to see how people they don't take a loss but they take it as a learning opportunity to adapt pivot their business and offer that service or that product in a different manner different delivery method in the future just and you know we've talked about the the university system and and you've corrected me i don't know how many times the the florida state or the university system did not stop delivering education to the students there was a different delivery method. Just because they weren't on campus doesn't right. mean the education or the delivery of education did not stop. There's just a different method of delivery. Yeah, I mean, the university is still functioning with its core missions. We are teaching, we are researching, and we are providing service to our stakeholders. And that doesn't stop. We haven't just thrown up our arms and said, okay, you know what, uh, let us know when COVID is fixed and, and we'll come back and we'll start doing it again. No, we've carried on. Now, we have to do it a lot differently. Many of my colleagues are sitting at home doing those three functions. And for the most part, it's going well. It's obviously different. Some of it's simply not as good because there are some components where you do have to be in person to deliver the highest quality. But we've been able to manage through to the best of our ability. And sometimes we're realizing, you know what, this new way of doing things might be a little bit better or it might be a precursor to doing it better. So after we go through maybe another semester of learning uh, how to do things, we might wind up with a better way of doing some things, not all things, but some things might turn out to be a little bit better because we've had to go through this painful experience. Yeah, interesting stuff. Yesterday we, uh, in our office at uh, Bean Team, we we, uh, had a farewell luncheon for one of our employees that has been with us almost four years. She actually started as a intern while she was going through the accounting school at Florida State and she worked with us as an intern worked with us for almost four years I think she's like a month away from being four years and she is uh, she's moving on to one of the national firms she's going up to Washington DC to work and that whole industry I'm assuming that if her if her business is doing this her employer that this is going to be across all of the the big firms the big CPA firms that they are they're really emphasizing remote work now they're reducing the footprint of their leased office space and they're ha- asking their employees to work remote they're really limiting the the in office time that they have because a lot of these these folks are 
the CPAs are audit audit CPAs, so they're going to be out at the their clients on occasion also to do the audit. So you're seeing the the businesses in the big big metro areas where they're going to reduce their their office space. It's not that they're going to totally eliminate. It's going to be hard to do without any office space. But that's a that's really um, an effect that you're going to see in in businesses. And the ripple effect of that is what's going to happen to the real estate market in those areas also. Sure, and and we've we've already seen tremendous impact with the environment. I mean, think about how much less people are driving. Right. That's fewer emissions from cars and other kinds of activities have gone way down and we see it around the globe uh you know you've heard stories out of venice italy that the water is clearer than some people have ever seen it in their lives because there's not as much boating activity and and the sediment has settled and and it's even more beautiful than it ever has been so we're seeing really some positive effects uh, so, you know, we also need to celebrate some of those things. I, I know a lot of people are just kind of in this woe is me kind of mentality and, and complaining a lot. But let's try and grab onto as many positives that we can because there are good things that are happening around us. And now, of course, we want more good things, not fewer. But let's let's grab onto the ones that are there and let's celebrate them. Yeah, I'm all about that. And it's um Although the the painful part of it is a lot of people have been forced to make decisions, so they this COVID mm-hmm. has really pushed them to the edge and pushed them to make a decision. But you see that in if you look back in a lot of successful stories in the past, events that were outside of the control of that person forced them to make a pivot or to make a change in what they were doing, and the outcome of that has has been remarkable. So we're going to be. We're, I, I take what you said there is. As a good takeaway for the show, let's uh, let's look for the the good opportunities. Let's look for the good outcomes of this. Uh, what's been forced on us by COVID, and there's going to be some some good things to happen. And let's keep our eyes open for the opportunities to take advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's try and be as positive as we can. Absolutely, Professor Joe. We're going to end it with that. This has been, I think, another outstanding show. We've we've gone through the the eighth, the seventh. I keep wanting to jump to the the eighth element. We're going to. You're talk just about, excited to keep going. We'll we'll get to eight next week. We're going to get eight next week. So everybody, come back and join us for that. So Professor Joe, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Hey, we got Florida State football tomorrow also. So Florida State takes on Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. A little slice of normal. I'm looking forward to it. A little it. slice of normal right here in Tallahassee, Florida. So by the time this is on YouTube and on podcast, we'll know the outcome of it. But right now we don't, so it's all exciting. We're looking forward to see Coach Mike Norvell his first game as head coach of the Florida State Seminoles. Hopefully by the time this hits the airwaves, we'll be 1-0. and Go Knowles. Go Knowles. All right. With that, I'm going to sign off. I am your host, Charles Musgrove with Answers Account. We're on YouTube. We're on all the favorite podcast channels that you have. We're also on Facebook and AnswersAccount.com. Check us out next week. Look at us on all those stations. Have a great day. Have a blessed week. Peace. Answers That Count is brought to you by the Bean Team. For all your business accounting needs, visit BeanTeam.com for more info. You can listen to more episodes of Answers That Count on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Or visit AnswersThatCount.com.